0: Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either, but it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story, you know. I think we can help you. Have you a real love of books and learning?
1: When you have these two important qualifications, love for books and love for people, you may well consider the vocation of a librarian.
2: Welcome to the June 2011 episode of Adventures in Library Instruction, aka Episode 27. We have the great, great pleasure of having the famous author Jason Puckett with us this evening.
0: Please, please, no, 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 no. We're not going to. We're not going to start on that note.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think we are. (laughs) Part of tonight, today's episode, Jason, you're going to have to deal with it. You are a famous author now. Is that we are going to be talking about his new book Zotero: A Guide for Librarians, Researchers, and Educators? I love the title.
0: Thank you. I, I have trouble remembering which order I put those in.
2: I have my little mnemonic I use, so I finally figured out how to um, how to remember it. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's go ahead. Before we get started, as we all as always, we have some housekeeping things to take care of. But first of all, I'm going to have everyone introduce themselves. Let's start from the north. Start from the south and move north
0: okay that's me right
2: (laughs) yeah
0: hi i'm jason and i'm the communication librarian at georgia state university in sunny and very hot atlanta georgia and you can find me on the web at librarianx.net and you can also find me on the web at amazon.com now which is pretty exciting
1: um i new jersey is north of dc right (laughs)
2: yes
1: (laughs) right (laughs) Awesome. Hi, I'm Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian, though definitely not the geography librarian (laughs) at at American University. And I now blog at ilquest.blogspot.com. And I am not a published
0: author at all.
2: But you've heard it here, my friends. Rachel is blogging. I, I, blog. I
0: added a link, I just added a link to your blog to the podcast site so people can find your blog now from adlibinstruction.blogspot.com.
2: Sweet, thanks. And I'm Anna Vanskoik. I am a part-time reference librarian in the Garden State and I work at a county public library system. I can be found on the web. Uh, where am I? I haven't really your blogged. You first, may not even want to go there. Firstinclusions.com. <laughs> And while while everyone, I am a public librarian, and while everybody, while academic librarians seem to be kind of winding down and kind of doing their thing and getting things ready for next year, we are in the thick of summer reading programs, and so it has just been an onslaught of kids, and it is, um, I love it, it's awesome, it's just, I think that this is a public library's busiest time of the year now. So I'm kind of uh, gearing up to go to go to work this evening.
0: I am actually quite busy this summer, as it has been every summer that I've been in this job. I um, I'm I'm done with teaching pretty much for the semester, I think. Um, but uh, I've got a lot of other projects going on, writing and um, um, other stuff that I'm working on that that hopefully I'll talk about on future episodes. But um, yeah, I've I've given up on summer being a slow time personally. Yeah. It's slow it's I uh, guess I
2: meant slow one face to face with a lot of the patrons, kind yeah. of that that initial Yeah. It's yeah like on the front line kind of thing.
0: That's that's fair I think, yeah.
2: Okay. It's like a chance. To I don't do mean everything. to say you're sitting around eating bonbons all day.
0: <laughs> I'm not eating <laughs> bonbons.
1: I, I think I think you're right, Jason. Like I always used to think of summer as like the time to goof off, yay. Not really. That's not true. But um it's just a different kind of work, that it's more projects, and I feel very frantic, and
2: um, I'm trying, I yeah. I've <laughs> I have in the catch-up time, like, this is my catch-up time. Yeah,
1: exactly, and I thought to myself, I'll do everything after ALA, and now it's after ALA, and it's like, oh, my God, it's July.
0: I'll yeah. Push- July. Mm-hmm. and
1: uh where has the summer gone
0: and classes classes <laughs> start up again in like i don't know five six weeks or something it's crazy yeah, yeah. i know yeah. you guys
2: yeah you do yeah. And, and and it's funny because midwinter and annual really do fall at weird times for people on the academic calendar because yeah. when you think about it january is when midwinter is and you're just starting to get into your spring semester then yeah mm-hmm. La yeah. fix that will you <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah they'll get right on that i'm sure exactly
2: a Whatever you want, Anna. <laughs>
0: we've been waiting for Adventures in Library Instruction to tell us how to do our. <laughs> <laughs> tell Thank us what God. to do. To some advice. <laughs> well, we've got we've got a lot of uh, a lot to uh, to talk about this month, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So we've we've got a couple of but firsts um, before our uh, our main topic. So um, uh, maybe let's go ahead and jump into those.
2: Yeah, because last yeah last last time we talked about workplace learning and leadership. Right. Right, by Lori Reed and Paul Signorelli. And from what I understand, Paul sent a very, very nice... Um,
0: he, he posted it to my blog. I always yes, blog of feedback. podcast episodes on my blog. And so Paul posted a very nice con- uh, comment on my blog in response to the episode. Uh, and I'll just, I'll read it. Quickly here and summarize it, um, but you can you can go to my blog if you want to read the whole thing. Um, he says I couldn't have I couldn't be more happier or more grateful than to have heard your in-depth and spirited discussion of themes Lori and I tackle in workplace learning and leadership. Can't even begin to tell you how gratified that I am that, uh, that our work inspired that level of thought, reaction, and proposed action. Um, looking forward to the follow-up you proposed at the end of the episode and to any success your efforts produce for your learners. He goes on to um, recommend a book by Char Booth who is fantastic if uh, listeners have not read anything that Char has done Um, she's just a terrific writer Um, her book Reflective Teaching Effective Learning Instructional Literacy for Library Educators which I have not read yet um, but Paul goes on to say, reading Char's book, I felt as if I were reading the product of a three-way conversation between Laurie, Shar and me, and I hope that anyone who reads ours will immediately follow up by diving into Shar's book. Um, so uh, we'll post a link to that. He's got a link to the uh, ALA store uh, for Char's book, and we'll, uh, we'll post a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So thank you so much for responding, Paul. Um, we don't get a ton of... Um, Direct feedback from listeners. And uh, I'm always just really thrilled when somebody um, takes the time to post a thoughtful comment like this. So thank you, Paul. I'm so glad you're listening.
1: You know, I think the thing that struck, strikes me when you mentioned Shar is like, I think all three of them, whenever I read or hear what they have to say, it's always something that I hadn't thought of.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like every single time, it's like, oh, wow, that's a really good way of thinking about it. So,
0: and, I um, second. Paul and, uh, Paul and Lori were both on the latest, um, T is for Training episode as well. Um, I think I missed one recent T is for Training because the, the audio was somehow off on my player or something, but the, the, I think it's the most recent one. Um, uh, Michael Porter talks a lot about, um, his new project library renewal, but, um, uh, Paul, at least Paul is on that and uh and they talk some about the book as well. So anyway, that's it. Thanks for the feedback, Paul. And uh and thank you everybody who has sent us feedback and listener mail and so on. Um Rachel, do you want to talk a little bit about ALA? You said you went to a uh, an instruction session there.
2: <laughs> yeah, Rachel I did. represented us at the ALA the year. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I yeah, neither one of us uh went, but uh Rachel, as always, was our ambassador.
1: And I should start off by saying that I spend most of my time doing science stuff, so I will bore you all of the, what I think is interesting, but you'll probably find boring science details of what I learned. But I went to one um, called Making Information Literacy Instruction Meaningful Through Creativity. And uh, the thing that I loved is on every single seat uh, with a couple of handouts were crayons. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Four crayons for everyone. So I was like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. So that's, all of my... a, that,
0: that's a very Rachel thing, isn't it?
1: I know. Yeah, it, yeah, it appeals to my five-year-old self. So all of I my mean that in the are... best
0: possible way.
1: No, I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so now I have these scribbled notes in crayon. But um, there were three panelists, and it's kind of like a who's who of library instruction um, as they're all immersion faculty Uh, Randy Hensley, Beth Woodard, and Dane Ward. And it was really, it was an interesting, it was almost kind of like being absolutely bombarded with these amazing like thoughts from the gods for an hour and a half. Um, And they just talked about kind of these various concepts um, related to creativity. And I wrote down this one quote, because I thought it was, um, and it kind of summed up everything that I learned about it, which was, imagination makes change accessible. And about how it's easier for um, learners to kind of take in new concepts and change their, their thought patterns if they're doing so in a creative way. Mm. So well, it was really you, interesting.
0: Did, mm-hmm. you see, um, did you see anybody who like posted really good blog notes or anything from that session that we could link to?
1: I will take a look
0: take a look for that so <laughs> maybe we will have a link to something further about that
1: yeah i just got back home a couple hours ago so
0: a couple I'm of still... hours ago oh my god okay i didn't realize yeah. you were tracking <laughs> that this that recently
1: yeah yeah so whoo so i'm still kind of thinking and processing all everything that i learned at ala and i of course have a big list of things that i have to do but yeah i will i will find a good write-up for you guys
0: have I'm you looked quick. at your work email yet
1: <laughs> just the once I, <laughs> I looked and quickly shut it
0: <laughs> i i was off last week for the whole week and i did a little bit of email triage while i was gone and um still came back to 80 emails so yeah yeah, yeah. um the other thing that we wanted to mention is that our all, all three of us our former colleague uh from emory steve thomas anna did you work did you guys both overlap with steve
2: i don't, I think, don't think, I think i did i did
0: no? Oh, okay. Well, um, he, he's my former colleague from Emory, uh, Emory University Library, Steve Thomas. He's now, I think it's, uh, Steve, I apologize, I can't remember. I think it's Gwinnett Public Library here in uh, in the Atlanta area that he's working for now. But he has a brand new library podcast called Circulating Ideas. It's circulatingideas.com. And my impression uh, from what he has said about the the podcast is that he wants to do kind of a uh, the, the fresh air um Uh, NPR interview style, um, uh, it's an interview format with, um, you know, creative and interesting and innovative librarians. He has posted just the first episode came out, I think last week, and it's with um, our friend Buffy Hamilton. Um, who was uh, a guest on a previous um, adventures in library instruction and it 's just a terrific um, interview. I listened to it, I think it was yesterday afternoon um, so it's it 's pretty fresh in my mind, and they have a really great um, interesting, engaging conversation. I blogged about it on my own blog um, just this morning, um, so I hope that it will get some exposure and um uh, Steve is, is, uh, has set up a Twitter account for the show, it, I, which I think is CircIdeas. Uh, excuse me, I think it's CircIdeas on Twitter. But just go to CirculatingIdeas.com and subscribe to it there. Um, there's an iTunes link on their site to uh, subscribe by iTunes. Um, I had to hunt around a little bit to find the uh, RSS link, um, but you can subscribe by regular old RSS as well. So uh, anyway, definitely listen to that. I know. Well, maybe I shouldn't say who his next guests are, but he's talked about some of the the other people that he's um, uh, interviewing, and I th- I think it's going to be a really interesting um, podcast, and I'm I'm really excited to see that more people are doing creative stuff with podcasting uh, in in library land. So check it out. I love
2: and I love the interview idea, Steve. I think that's awesome. I, it almost I mean interviews can, like you were saying, that's the fresh air approach. And I also think of although I don't. I always think of Inside the Actor's Studio, which, you know, that show can be, it can be funny watching it as well, because you're like, wow, these people are so self-absorbed. But (laughs) I love the whole, well, they are. I mean, especially, what's the host name? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But I think, um, from what I understand, Steve is really going, he wants that dialogue to, and it sounds like he has the background um, to facilitate that discussion with somebody to kind of Branch in and reach into their thought processes with certain things. So I haven't listened to it yet. I have it downloaded. It's on my iPod. I just need to listen to it. And I'm just, I'm very much looking forward to
0: it. But that's that's exactly what it's like, though, Anna. It's very sort of um, reflective. I think is the word that, yeah. that Steve or Buffy mm-hmm. used about it. Um, and it's it's sort of like you know what is the what is the profession about? I mean, they they get into some of her her specific projects like the Media Twenty One, of course, that we've talked about. But but there's there's lots of really good reflection and um and thoughtful discussion and it was it was just great and uh the, steve is doing a terrific job with the first episode so definitely that's that's a must listen
2: well should we get the meat to the meat of our uh episode this this uh this month i think we should
0: let's do that
2: there has been a uh a little bit of a gap in the literature the library literature regarding um I'm trying to think of what, what do you call, what do you even call Zotero, manager, reference manager? I call
0: it, I call it a reference manager. I sort of fumbled with the terminology a little bit, and I settled on reference manager. You'll you also hear them called citation managers or other things, but I like reference manager because it's got the term reference in it, which can mean either, you know, a citation in a bibliography or the act of referring to to a library source, so I call it a reference manager.
2: And it is, it's so, from what, from what I've experienced with with those Zotero, it is much more than just citations. That's, there's more to it than that. But as I mentioned in, um, initially in the podcast is that we were talking about, Our Jason's going to talk about his book that he just wrote, which again is Zotero Guide for Librarians, Researchers and Educators. And Jason has pretty much been living, breathing, and doing whatever else with Zotero for about how long, Jason, a year? How long did it take you to write it?
0: To write it, I started writing it last, really last summer, um, so about a year ago now was when I, I signed the contract oh and started outlining, and uh, I finished the last stages of writing in April, so the better part of a year, nine months, or whatever that is, yeah, yeah. Whew. So it's, it's my, it's my baby. It took me nine months to use.
2: You made a baby.
0: I did. I totally did. A geeky (laughs) librarian baby. Um,
2: It's a very
1: pretty baby, though.
0: Well, thank you. Um, And I want to mention also the, the psychedelic um, bitch and cover art. It is. It's by friend of the show, Christian Steinmetz. And I want to give him full props for that. Thank you again, Christian. So um,
2: One of the things, before we kind of start diving into the book, Jason, because I've looked through some of the chapters, um, because you sh- were able to share some of them with me. And I, I do want to talk about kind of the meat of the book and the layout of the book, et cetera. But I thought something we might want to do is kind of give an overview of Zotero, because some people may not know what it is, believe it or not. Yeah, sure. They not know what Zotero
0: yeah, so um, Zotero is when I, you know, when I'm teaching it, I say, okay, who's used Zotero? How about, you know, who's used EndNote or RefWorks? There's, there's a, you know, maybe a dozen of these programs. The, these are the big three that I've mentioned, but they're, they're reference managers and they're software programs that allow you to save citations and produce bibliographies. And that's just kind of the very, very short mm-hmm. description of it. Um, I see a lot more possibilities for, for what you can do with this. There, uh, Zotero, in particular, has a lot of strengths with being able to share. Um, citations and bibliographies online, and those features are just getting stronger and stronger. Um, it's open source. This is, this is what I think is really uh, important about it. It's, right. it's an open source program, so it's free. Um, it doesn't require any financial outlay. It's um, uh, produced by academics for mostly academic researchers, but for really any kind of researchers, and I really put a lot of weight into the fact that it's produced by academics. It, it's produced by researchers for researchers, and that carries a lot of weight with me because they really understand. Excuse me, they understand the way that um, the way that we need to do research and and what's useful and so on. Um, and um, it's. Uh, it's um, Sony. It's it's really easy to use. It's a Firefox plugin. Um, it it uh, they're working on versions. There's an alpha version out that works with Internet Explorer and uh, and Chrome. Or I wondered me, about that. Excuse me, Safari and Chrome. And there's an IE version that's coming. And it's an early test version. Um, and it's it's working f- pretty well from what I've seen. But it's it's not something I I would recommend. You know patrons install and use, unless they're really desperate for something that works with Safari or whatever. So anyway, it it just makes it really easy. I can teach the basics of it to to an undergrad in five minutes, but it's got some really sophisticated sharing features and things like that, and uh, group libraries that you can share with with, with collaborators and so on, and it lets you store PDFs and so on. And it's got lots of... Of more sophisticated features that um, grad- graduate students and faculties, uh, researchers really seem to appreciate. So, um, anyway, it, it appeals to a wide range of researchers. Anyway- and
2: Jason, with it being open source, isn't one of the big selling points? Is that it can you can have the public groups where you don't have to have a license to reference yeah. or, I mean, you could, anybody can download it. Anybody and acce- can
0: download it for free. And, and so like if one of my GSU students, uh, uses Zotero and they graduate or they go to another school, they can take Zotero with right. them. If they're using EndNote, they, they lose access to that EndNote license when they leave. Yeah. So, I mean, if you and I are working on a project together, we can, we can both set up Zotero. It doesn't matter what you, you know what library or institution you're affiliated with, you can just download it and install it for free
2: well and the, and what I like about it is that people can come together almost this web 2.0 kind of interactive um people can add to a library um it's not just one right. person it can be numerous people adding to one library
0: right like, and library
2: it's for a li- lot that's probably not the right word but
0: no no they it is a a a a group of um of Zotero references is called a library, and I talk about that term a little bit in the book you know what what the distinction is between you know what what we usually call a library, but a lot of these reference manager programs will refer to your personal um, uh, your personal archive of Saved information is your library, but you can, make, you can have a personal private library, you can have a group library that multiple people can contribute to, mm-hmm. you, can have, you can share your personal library so other people can see it if you want to, and they're working on some really cool features now. Um, I've, I've tinkered with this a bit on my website where I can save stuff to my Zotero library and it automatically shows up on my website as a formatted uh, bibliography, which is really neat. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think in the next year, we're going to see a lot more features like this, because that's something that I know mm-hmm. they're putting a lot of development energy into, um, just from, from my conversations with, with a, a couple of the de- developers and folks who work on Zotero.
2: It so- just seems like it's really much more ahead of the game with than other reference managers that I know of, that especially in such a collaborative environment that we live in now, you know, that we work in, I mean, just how we're partnering with people all over the place, and just to have this kind of, you know, joint space that you can go and, you know, collaborate your research together. It's nice.
0: And it's it's really it's really easy to do that. It's really kind of optimized to do that, and the, the sharing features are, to my mind, a big selling point of it. Yeah. So, to bring it around to the book, and maybe back to the the topic of the the podcast instruction kind of focus to it. what I wanted to do with the book was it's I, I've got a couple of different um uh, potential audiences in mind for the book and one is just the the user of Zotero who wants to have a kind of a reference manual or a how-to manual for for how to actually use the program mm-hmm. but um but I also had in mind for um Uh, faculty members, for teachers, and for librarians who are teaching Zotero and um uh supporting Zotero in their libraries, I really wanted to kind of um document and and discuss some of the the best practices and ideas that i've arrived at and i I don't think that I've solved every problem by any means or <laughs> or come to you know i I don't think I have the best recommendations for every situation but but I really kind of wanted to share some of my thinking about. Um, how to teach it to different audiences and different groups. And so it's kind of, it's kind of got two different facets to it in that sense. If you're, if you're, um, just using Zotero and you want a reference manual for how to use it, I think it works pretty well as that. But if you are, um, if you're teaching Zotero in particular to, to kind of keep it with the, the focus of our podcast, um, I, I've got, I think a lot of ideas and support and material in the book for for how to approach it from that angle. So. I think
1: one of the things that really impressed me, um, and I will full disclosure, I just read the teaching chapter because that's you know what I was really interested. Well, in. that was the
0: main thing that I kind of <laughs> wanted to talk about today, yeah. anyway. So yeah.
1: Um, but I loved how detailed that you are. That like after reading the chapter, I felt, and I've never taught Zotero. I know a bit about it, but I'm an endnote girl. I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys all know that about me. <laughs> um, but I felt like I could go and teach a class reasonably well.
0: Oh, wow. And, okay, well, that's yeah. a great comf- compliment. Um, you know, I think that if you read the teaching chapter about Zotero, that you could apply it, to, you could apply the same stuff that I say about it to to teaching other reference managers, because a lot of the stuff is, is very generalizable, or I tried to make it that way anyway. It, um, and
1: actually, when I was reading, I was like, oh, you know, I never do that in my EndNote classes. That's a really good idea. <laughs> I was totally making mental notes as I was reading it.
0: Well, I try to include stuff like, you know, workshop outlines, because I, I get asked yeah. that a lot, you know, like, how, how do you teach this? And it kind of depends on the audience that I'm, I'm approaching with, with it, you know, and I've, I've learned that different groups, with, with a high degree of predictability, different groups will ask me consistent questions about it, and want to know about different things and get excited about different aspects of it. And so, um, for example, um, with undergraduates, they've probably never been exposed to a reference manager program before. And so they're really impressed just with the fact that they can save stuff with a couple clicks and turn it into a bibliography with a couple clicks. Um, So, you know, that's kind of, you just want to show them the basics and give them the idea and tell them, you know, it can do more. And, you know they'll they'll come back when they're ready for more information with graduate students they want to know about um, you know using it with like primary sources if they're history researchers or uh, or things like that and um, uh... they'll ask about storing pdfs faculty members will ask about saving pdfs and being able to go back and search pdfs because they've probably got their own library quote-unquote of pdfs that they've just stuck in a folder on their hard drive and things Mm -hmm. like that so um, so I, I, really gave some thought to, um, uh, to different, um, different audiences and how I approach different audiences and what people are likely to ask in different groups. And, you know, I talked about like the drop-in workshops that, that we've all taught, you know, and, and things like that, so.
2: And, and you really, it's, it's, cause you do, you have a section here, consider, consider the audience. And then throughout the chapter, you'll have like little case studies on the, and sidebars. And I think that that was one of the most helpful things for yeah. me because I like the practical. Okay, so yeah. how do I use this kind of thing? And I loved how the variety, because I went from the first year undergraduate to, you know, your general English requirement class to a, a, an upper an upper uh, class uh, political science to graduate students. So, I mean, I thought the case studies that were kind of throughout were very, very helpful, very practical.
0: I yeah. Just wanted to to give props to all of the the librarians. I got so much great input from and I, I'm i'm reluctant to name names, but i i I listed them all in the the book everybody I cited I listed in the book, but I got so much great feedback. I put out just basically a call for anybody who was like teaching. Zotero, or using Zotero in their classes, and I got so many great assignments and exercises, and, like, um, uh, Catherine Greenhill in Australia um, sent me some uh, Zotero activities from her library science classes, and I've got a uh, a GSU professor in in um, an undergraduate political science class, and librarians Anne-Marie Dietering, who who does... um, infolit work with, um, undergrad English classes. And so I got, and, and, a lot of this is not my work, it's just I sort of paraphrased what people sent me, so I really want to give a lot of credit and a lot of thanks to people who sent me stuff. The teaching chapter, I've got so much good stuff there from other people and so many great examples that I never would have thought of.
2: And it's it's a great augmentation, too, to your knowledge base, because you're laying, outlining it there, and then to read that and say, oh, you know, it, just, it helps it click, And it and some yeah. of the innovation, I mean, it's... it it really it's it's a I mean I enjoyed reading the chapter and I enjoyed reading the kind of examples of what people were doing I
0: got things I never
2: thought of well
0: (laughs) I got a lot more I got a lot more stuff than I could use I got probably twice as many examples case studies as I as I was able to you know have room for and I would love to do you know more with the other stuff that I got but I, I chose like a range of skill levels, like, you know, basically, you know, um, undergrads and, you know, naive research, novice researcher, I should say, undergrads to, to advanced graduate students and faculty. And I tried to choose a range of disciplines as well. Um, And I would love to, to uh, hear more from, you know, uh, like public librarians and school librarians who are using it. It's mostly academic librarians who are using it. So
2: anyway. But then also there was another chapter that was somewhat related. I think it was
0: the Supporting. supporting, Yes.
2: Because you talk about how there's kind of a training for your peers as well. Because people are going to the more and more it's being used, the more because I mean you were talking, in Supporting Zotero you were talking about the kind of outreach that was put up throughout the library and and how you were getting the pr ab- out about it and so those questions are going to be coming up and obviously i'm assuming you're the point person at your I, university
0: at, at georgia state yes right
2: yeah. um i totally blanked on where you work so thank you for saying georgia state
0: yeah <laughs> uh- yeah i I am and I talked about kind of that model of having a, yes. a person so here's kind of how it works here and and this is i think the case at a lot of universities um there's this idea of a, 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 a you'll hear the term champion or evangelist for a lot of these technology <laughs> products we had a, a an iTunes champion at at emory and you'll and I'm kind of the the zotero uh i I don't mind the word um evangelist a bit tongue in cheek. Um uh but uh yeah, a champion sounds a bit self aggrandizing. But anyway, um uh and it's kind of like being the subject liaison for Zotero. Um, you know, when when they get uh questions at the reference desk that they can't handle uh, or if anybody's got questions, or if anybody just needs, like, a point of first contact, they'll email me, you know, just the students will will email me, um, or faculty from whatever discipline. So that can mean a lot of work for one person, and when I first got here, that wasn't such a problem. Now that I'm a subject librarian, I've got this whole constituency that I'm responsible to, and that takes up more of my time, and so what I've tried to do is kind of diffuse the the Zotero knowledge uh, a little bit. You know, the same way that, like, I'm a communication librarian, I feel like I ought to be able to do a basic PubMed search if I'm called upon mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I'm trying to do with, with the support of the administration here very much is, is kind of get other people who work the reference desk to the point where they can do the basics in Zotero and then do, of course, do referrals to me if they need to. And so I talk about the challenges inherent in that in the supporting chapter. I tried to, I got pretty nitty-gritty, I think, in the the supporting chapter about um, training, you know, training your peers, like you said, that's a big part of it. Um,
2: Working with administration and IT, I mean, just things that I think people don't I think that's looking at the big picture. That's there's looking at how how is this how are we going to make this work?
0: Well, there's a lot of stakeholders. You can't just say, yes. "Okay, uh, you know, the library supports Zotero now and I'm going to do everything." Cuz there are a lot of people involved. <laughs> there, there are you know, there's there's training involved. I mean, there's there's right. probably uh, instruction for the public. There's probably peer training that needs to go on. There's definitely collaboration with IT and and big heads up Uh, big, big props to our uh, IT, excellent IT department here at Georgia State. They were great when I came here and I said, I want to start doing Zotero. And they're like, okay, we'll install it for you. Um, But that's not going to be the case everywhere. And so I talked about what the challenges might be with that. That was kind of tough to write because it was so easy for me here because our our IT folks were like, yeah, okay, this is cool. You should do Let's do it, you know. Um, but I, I talked about what the challenges of that are and, you know, kind of uh, ramping up the Zotero support program and, and some of the stuff I've talked about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, once it catches on, it can take up a lot of your time. Um, but that can be a great niche for like a staff person who doesn't have a subject specialty. That was the case for me in my last job Mm -hmm, was I became sort of one of the, uh, the, the, um, reference manager specialists. You know, I ended up doing both EndNote and Zotero in my last job. Um, and that was a great niche for me to, to find. So, you know, uh, sort of the opportunities that can bring stuff like that. I feel like I'm talking an awful lot.
1: No, I'm. I'm I'm trying to kind of digest all of this, just because I'm kind of in that in-between place where I'm covering a lot of Zotero, or a lot of EndNote right now, and, you know, I never really thought about, like, how to make it so that everyone can cover it, you know, and it, that I am spreading the wealth and creating kind of an environment of support instead of reliance on a select number of people.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. And it's, you know, it's uh, it's not that I don't want to keep doing Zotero support because I, I expect that to be a significant part of my job for a long time to come, and I hope it will be because obviously I'm so excited about it. But, um, uh, you know, it's I feel like it's, it, you know, it's another research tool just like a database or something. And the same way that I can't call... Uh, a business librarian, every time somebody comes to the reference desk with a business question, right. I feel like I, I should be able to at least handle the basics that 's the way i 've sort of tried to pitch it and uh, and i I think that's that 's really caught on here a lot of people, and a lot of the subject librarians um, my fellow subject librarians are um, being called on by their faculty uh, for mm. zotero questions and so um, they they really see the value in being able to. You know, to handle some of this stuff themselves, as well as, you know, as well as having me to call on, of course. I, like I said, I feel like I'm sort of the Zotero liaison, as well as being the communication liaison. So I
2: think also, I'm kind of thinking of this from two two different perspectives. And the first one is, if I were able to use, if I were using Zotero, I remember how. Teaching in an academic library, you rarely see the final product, and mm-hmm. I, you think about um, how that is, that is part of our roles as teachers, is we're teaching how to people people how to use information um, ethically, and and how you know are they getting quality resources and whatnot, mm-hmm. and I think that mm-hmm. this kind of gives you that. Um, side door way to get in and look and see what are their sources that they're using and how did they access them and what notes were they, you know, using, because you can annotate. Um, right. So, you know, what were they saying about this resource and whatnot? And I think that from an assessment point of view and a final product aspect is just, it, it just is something that I could never do before, unless I unless I had access to those final papers.
0: Well, there's, um, I mentioned the, we, we've mentioned the poli professor here at Georgia State who's using it, and what he's doing is he's having students actually, instead of turning in a printed out bibliography, he's having them make their bibliographies in a shared library, and he goes right. in and looks at them. You could very easily go through and look at the metadata for sources and see when they were created and mm-hmm. students can annotate them there's all kinds of possibilities for what you could do with that and also to the point to your point about quality sources and, and evaluating that there's a great um example that i got from i think it was from uh... Mita williams blog i believe she's the one who posted this that i really loved um... uh... but uh... this this class, this instruction session was, um, uh, they were covering Zotero, and they discovered that students found that because Zotero worked better with the databases than it did with Google Hmm. Scholar and Web Sources, that students were more inclined, because they were using Zotero, they were more inclined to use library databases than they were to use some of the other sources like Google Scholar and just Web Searches and everything, because... Hmm it ended up making it easier for them to create bibliographies with that combination of tools. So if you can Mm. sell your undergrads on Zotero, my theory based on this discussion is that you're more likely to come up with better sources or, or, you know, at least have them using some quality research tools just because it works better with Zotero.
2: I think also it's this kind of subversive step for them to kind of, to evaluate more so what they're finding. Um, when they're entering it into their zotero i'm assuming that they they maybe maybe they're not but maybe that might strike them to say you know what i'm going to put some information in about this source that i found so they're kind of critically thinking about what they're finding mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean again maybe that's pie in the sky thinking but i just i think once you enter something into a database my habit is and granted i'm a librarian and a geek is i put some information in there to kind of help remind me why am I keeping this resource why is this even here why is this in my library yeah
1: and it, it makes them think you know ahead of time what is my paper going to look like where, yeah where do I want to take it and I think that's a really important step that you don't really think about as a novice researcher you're just like yep this fits my topic this fits my topic but you're not creating the synthesis necessarily
0: <sighs> Well, and I think that novice researchers like lower level undergrads don't really think about reusing sources, repurposing sources mm-hmm. for later projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is something that I talk with my journalism students about a lot when I'm showing them Zotero is the fact that once you discover your major and get into taking all of your major classes, and especially if you go into grad school, you're likely to, you know, kind of find these research interests that you're writing about related topics in the future and being able to go back and find stuff again uh... which i you know i'm discovering now that i wish i had saved some stuff that i heard about at a conference because i'm trying to write about it now and i can't find this (laughs) this source but but you know once you've gotten to a point in your academic career where you've got research interests being able to go back and repurpose sources really makes something like this worthwhile and i think the the enterprise of building uh, kind of this this personal reference library is just a wonderful um, critical thinking activity and a wonderful wonderful information literacy activity that that you know we talk about lifelong learning this is a mm-hmm. great lifelong uh, uh, research and information literacy enterprise I guess is a good word for it and um, when I've when I can get Lower-level undergrads, or even you know, juniors and senior undergrads, excited about Zotero. I really feel like I've given them a tool that that's really going to be useful for them. For but
2: story. it really there's this, and it's kind of I hear you talking about, and even this is reflective in the chapter as well. Is that just how there's a program programmatic you know, ideally we want a programmatic aspect to our information literacy. We don't try to get our first years to know everything under the sun.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you kind of point out, here's what your, you know, the basic general user needs to know. And then there's so obviously there's, I mean, you could yeah. actually launch missiles with this thing. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's so much more that they can do with it. And those are <laughs> things that they can pick up as they, as they go throughout their um, academic experience. Yeah, And that's how I see it. I, I mean, they're going to discover things on their own as well. So
1: here's my question, like related to that, is um, sometimes when I'm teaching Zote- teaching EndNote, and I'm sure you get this with Zotero, yeah. I get students who say, oh my gosh, I wish I had known about this. I hear EndNote. that
0: constantly. Love yeah. that? Constantly, <laughs> nonstop. Is
1: there anything we can do? Like, do you take any steps to try and promote it at the the level at which they start to need it or talk to faculty? you know, and say, like, I think it would be good for this class, or anything like that, or just leave it up to the faculty? I
0: I do, I do push it for particular classes. Um, There's, there's a required sort of basic research class. It's, um, it's taught as a journalism class, but it's really, you know, just basic communication research, and it's really kind of the standard um, research paper assignment that students have to take early in the uh, early in the program, and it's a, a 200 level class or 2000 level here, um, but it's a sophomore level class, and I really push it hard. Um, for those classes um, when I'm talking to those. Um, Selling it to the faculty goes a long way. Um, A lot of the first-year classes are taught by, you know, the first-year English classes and stuff like that. A lot of them are taught by graduate student instructors who do a great job, but they sort of rotate in every couple of years, and I don't have the kind of relationship, the kind of ongoing relationship I do with them that I do with the, um, uh, with the regular faculty. So that is harder to do. That's, that's more challenging to do. Um, yeah, that's, that's tough to do because I find that usually the ones who come to my drop-in workshops are going to be graduate students. Overwhelming majority is grad students with some faculty members as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a challenging audience to reach just because they don't have, like, a consistent set of faculty they're working with. They don't have a consistent librarian that they're working with. So it's hard to pitch stuff to them.
2: But it sounds like a lot of it really is kind of happening organically on your campus. Like, people are, you know, using it in different, um, you know, the faculty, the grad students, your the undergraduates you a- hear about it. So it almost sounds like you're kind of... I guess organically it's the only word I can think of. There's How a lot of
0: word of mouth, yeah. yeah. I, at least that's my, my impression is that, that there's a lot of word of mouth.
2: So. And I'm assuming just like with any other instruction session, you've got to kind of rein it in. Like maybe the professor wants you to show everything it can do. I remember when I had for a professor want me to show Web of Science to some first-year students for their freshman <laughs> seminar.
0: Oh, God, yeah. And I'm
2: like... <laughs> Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 You,
2: I mean, <laughs> well, it's it's like
0: every, it's like anything else. You have to pick your learning outcomes. Exactly. I mean, this, is, this yeah. is not rocket surgery. This is, you know, the same stuff we do all the time. You pick your learning outcomes. You figure out what does this audience right. need to know. And I tried to give a lot of thought to learning outcomes for, for uh, you know, like I was saying when I was thinking about the different audiences. I, I really tried to give a lot of thought to the learning outcomes. And that's that's how you rein that in is you you say, okay, I can show them these things, we have time for this much, you know, hands-on activity, etc., etc., so, yeah, yeah, but of course, I mean, you can't possibly, I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing a month-long continuing ed um, uh, class about Zotero for Simmons this month, starting on Friday, um, or next month, I guess, starting on Friday, start- in July. And so, I mean, we're doing a whole month with Zotero, and it's it's roughly 15 hours worth of material. And a lot of it is, you know, the um, uh, supporting and teaching and stuff like that, because this is an audience of librarians.
2: Jason, uh, is this the one that you're doing that's not um, synchronous? I can never say that word. It's
0: asynchronous, yes. Okay. it is. And all in
2: your is. chapter, you talk about doing online.
0: Mm-hmm. I talk about some of the online... But you didn't
2: talk stuff. about the asynchronous, did you?
0: No, I really, I, I suppose I didn't. And part of that is because I was teaching this for the first time at the time I was wrapping up the book.
2: I didn't think, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it didn't happen while you were, I thought I it happened was, after you sent everything in.
0: Man, uh, March was a hell of a month for me because <laughs> I was, I went to computers and libraries. I was finishing the book. I was teaching an online class. Uh, I, I think I gave some presentations or something and <laughs> teaching and I don't know it, it was kind of a blur um I'm you know I'm hoping that that down the line I'll get to do a second edition and i'll I'll have more experience under my belt for with the asynchronous teaching but I did talk some about um some of the, the stuff that I was applying to the the asynchronous teaching. You did,
2: you did. And, and you also talked about some of the, the pros and cons to the in-class versus, or to the hands-on, face-to-face versus um, yeah. online, which I thought right. was very helpful. Because, again, there are things I don't, things that I would think people would not think about. Like, bring your own laptop is ideal. Because then you, those people are going to walk away with Zotero on their it's, laptop. It's
0: right. ideal in some ways and less than ideal in other ways. Because unless you've got
2: a Mac, a Mac operating system. Oh, <laughs> you, you
0: <laughs> Mac people! I just want to <laughs> come into my Zotero classes.
2: And... Or you know, or even just different Windows operating. Yeah,
0: system. totally, totally. I mean, totally. You know,
2: but I know. I mean, that's, that's one of the challenges I have. I, I, I just don't think, I never really thought about that until I started doing it. So yep. I had started yep. having people bring their own laptops, I'm like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Because yep. you're troubleshooting yep. a lot of the time, I yep. think.
0: And I think I, I think it's worth the effort because, like you absolutely. say, they, you know they're working on their own laptop. That makes it a lot more vivid and concrete to them because they're like, "I'm doing this, this is installed on my own computer now. I can start saving sources right. for my own research in class, and that that works really well for me, yeah.
2: And that's, that's the same with the online, it's that they're working on their computers. But right. as you said, you can't see
0: oh, their man. computer.
2: So trying to I, wish. <laughs> I really wish I had read that
1: before I started teaching online cuz i it's exactly what jason was describing where you're like hello did anyone are you are you there you know and it it's really hard to know what they're up to and I'm, it's it's like it's a different kind of releasing control you know like having them bring their own laptops in is definitely releasing control cuz you have no yeah. idea what the yeah. you know someone walks in with windows 95 and you're like oh, oh dear um,
2: well, but not I mean- being able to see their screens is just oh man it's hard <laughs> With that being said, one of the things, again, I think a practical thing that, that you included in this chapter was Jason includes the email that he sends to those people who are <laughs> signed up. Yeah. For it. But no, but what I love about it is that it says these are the things that you should have in place already. And I yep. love it yeah. it's like getting them ready, getting yeah. their playing field ready to come in and zotero out. You know, I mean, it's so, not going to be a bunch of my time. I love that he put that,
1: I've had an overwhelming response for this session. And that's part of your form message. (laughs) It's like you're creating the hype for it already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was true, though. I mean, the couple of times, or the few times, I guess, that I've done synchronous, we're talking now about my my synchronous workshops that I've done, which, Anna, did you come to one of those one time? I know Aaron did, who we we had on. No,
2: Aaron did. I've only been on, I've been in your in-class one.
0: Okay, all I've right.
2: I've set it on a couple of those.
0: Okay, I guess I'm thinking of Aaron then, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I really did have, and I, whenever I do these online synchronous workshops, I always, without fail, have librarians from other institutions come, which I love. If you're doing workshops online let other librarians come and sit in on them and see what you're doing because i've had some great conversations come out of that
2: that is such yeah. a great idea yeah it
0: really is yeah. i mean and tell I was... me about it librarians if you're
2: doing a free webinar kind of thing let me know <laughs> i'll come sit in <laughs> I know
1: it's a great way to poach ideas off of people.
0: You know, at first I was like, "Oh, this is just for my GSU people," and I thought, "Well, why would I just make it for GSU people? I want my my peers to come and see, and, and then we can talk about it afterwards." So, you uh, know what,
2: Jason? Have you had any public librarians sit in on um, either on any of the professional development? presentations that you've done or even the what you're talking about the one that was meant for GSU but other people had come in.
0: Yeah I I have Um, I've done some um, some online training for um, Galileo which is one of our um, our Georgia uh, regional consortia they've asked me to do a couple of Zotero sessions and we've I I think we've had people from all different kinds of libraries come to that special academic I mean lots of academics obviously school public I, I think we've had kind of some of everything. Um, I, I wanted to mention, though, that, that I, I've been so close to this project that it's really sort of hard for me to get, get perspective on some of what I've written, but it's really nice to hear from you guys that um, uh, that you've found some of this stuff generalizable. Like, um, uh, Rachel, when you said you wish you had read, uh, whatever it was before you started doing online teaching, (laughs) I'm really, really glad to hear that. I mean, some of, I, have I hope that some of what I've written is, is useful for more general instructional advice, um, you know some of the online teaching stuff and the the advice that I I wrote for uh, for tutorials and best practices for for tutorials and lib guides and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. you could you could probably generalize to other stuff. But I'm really glad to hear that you think that that's the case because, like I said, I'm so I'm so blind to I'm so so close mm-hmm. to it that I can't see it anymore.
1: <laughs> well, I think the basic principles are really sound and. I think really any workshop type of thing that you're trying to, you take something that's very concrete and you're trying to give it to other people, I think easily applies. You know, I kept thinking of all these different types of things that I do. Like I'm I'm hoping to do an overview of different citation tools. And I mean, it, you know, same thing, developing learning objects, make sure that the students are prepared and that, I don't know, you know, all the things that you talk about, I think are, Easily applicable, not just to citation management.
0: Well, I, I you know, yeah, um, and thank you. I, I, think, and I hope that any kind of citation, anybody who does any kind of citation manager training, would find some of this stuff useful. Um, there's not really been a lot written that I found when I was doing research for this book as far as, you know, best practices for training, this kind of stuff. So I, you know, I kind of saw that as a niche. So um, uh, I I certainly found when I was doing research for the book that there's more stuff written about um, EndNote and RefWorks Mm-hmm. Than there is about Zotero, just because Zotero is is relatively newer. I mean, it's it's a few years old at this point, but you know how long um, journal articles take to appear. Um, so I used a lot of of research that had been done about RefWorks or about EndNote and about teaching those programs, and and I definitely generalized from those and and you know took their best advice and um, and put that into my Zotero stuff. So.
2: Along with some specific teaching strategies. One of my, because one, one of the things that jumped out to me was, I'm, kind of, I'm not anti-demo. I don't, kind i am I mean, I do demonstrations in class, but you start off right from the get-go. And I've seen this work in your, I've seen it work in, in your class. Jason will, you know, he'll go in and he does, I mean, it's really like there's no speaking. You're just kind of, <laughs> all right, let me show you what it can do. And boom, boom, boom. And I swear he had everybody's attention. I mean, just hands down everyone's like oh, i want to learn it now after I d- just doing a simple demo and i mean yeah. literally there was i don't remember you talking i just remember you doing <laughs> a quick demo showing what it could do i
0: start every single Zotero, and when i taught endnote i taught i did every single endnote session that way i discovered that at the you know, I would go through and and just the logical order was, here's how you install it, here's how you save citations, here's how you create a bibliography. And I found like at the very end of the class when I was doing here's how you create a bibliography, there was something about that moment when you hit copy in the reference manager program and hit paste into Word and the finished bibliography the formatted bibliography appears in that blank word document the the audience just every single time just gasps and i it took me several times before yeah yeah and i've got a whole sidebar about this in the book but every single time and it took me forever to figure out well duh, why don't I do this part first?
2: And you did, yeah. you would have their attention the an entire say, time.
0: And I'd say, I'm not going to teach you how to do this yet, I just want to show you and in one minute I'll say, you know, give me a search topic and I go into the catalog and I save some sources and I create a bibliography in less than a minute and they just, every, every single time and that's that's such a wonderful um, motivator and attention getter at the beginning of a session that I really wish I could find some way to do that for my other information lyrics <laughs> my regular courses yeah. classes. Oh, that's so yeah. much harder to do. Uh well, it's kind of
1: like a guarantee at the beginning, you know, because people may yeah. at the beginning of class be like, well I'm not sure if this is really for me. I don't know if it does everything yeah. I want it to do. It's kind of like showing you like, I promise you, we got the goods. Here they are. And yeah. I'll show you how to get them. That's maybe, really smart.
0: You know, I've never thought about it in those terms before before I said that, but I uh, maybe I need to think about some equivalent of that That magic trick that I could do at the beginning of a a regular course-based lit session, you know, info lit session. I don't know what that would be.
1: I know. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what the magic moment is in databases.
0: Like, yeah, yeah. Unless
1: they have this really like kind of specific topic and you're like, no way on earth will anybody have written about it. And then you find the article, yeah, those are the closest to magic moments I've ever had.
0: Uh, and that's hard but. to plan, that's really hard <laughs> yeah. to plan ahead of time, exactly. <laughs> you know what? I do sometimes put Zotero at the beginning of the class um, because, especially for senior classes, it's like they've had this damn library session five times before, and oh god, I have to sit and listen to this dorky guy again. Um, you know, I'll start off with, okay, maybe you've, uh, you may not have seen Zotero before, so I'm going to start by showing you this because it's something new, and I think you'll find it really useful. So I do that sometimes, and I think sometimes that helps them get, you know, helps get their attention sometimes.
2: Did you get any case studies or when you were looking for feedback or when you solicited feedback did you hear back from any pls
0: i did not almost all of the feedback that i got was from academic librarians um they they are the primary users of zotero i would really have loved to have heard from some public librarians who were using it
2: i'm, I'm thinking it could maybe be something i partner with the high school media specialist with maybe
0: it's easy enough to teach to high school students. It, it, abso- I absolutely believe that. Um, I did try to come up with some use cases. I, and I know I, I just sent you guys the later chapters because it was it, I didn't have the whole finished product uh-huh. at that point. I just had preprint chapters. But I just sent you guys the, the later chapters about teaching. In one of the very early chapters, I tried to come up with some use cases. And I very consciously tried to come up with some stuff outside of academia. Stuff like genealogical researchers... Um, I mean, you can use it for all kinds of stuff. Like, you can use it for, for um, uh, you could use it as a recipe database, for God's sake. <laughs> I can think of all kinds of different ways that you could use it. And I I came across some some interesting ideas and suggestions for how to use it for non you know non standard, not just the regular academic research paper, that kind of thing. Um, stuff like you know using it as uh, to index um, um, oral history kind of things and attach notes to things like that.
2: So you could have different libraries for you could like your recipes libraries. or your sure. genealogies.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm trying I
2: think well, how, is it, how would I make it different from Diggo or I guess it's not I you know what I'm saying? I mean like cause yeah. I've, I mean people are interested yeah. in delicious and Diggo and whatnot.
0: Right. Well, it's for, it's full text searchable for one thing. You can make you can um, grab an entire copy of a, a page that has a recipe on it, and so if you were if you're you know saving recipes to your Zotero library and you're what's that, what's that you know recipe that uses mushrooms? You can just search for the word mushrooms. Right. Yeah. You
2: can also attach the full files to you it. You can.
0: You can. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah.
2: the so, PDFs. You know it, what I mean? Yeah. You mm-hmm. can use it as like a your own personal.
1: You know, these are the books that I've read. And, or like this is what the summer library is recommending, and you know share um, lists of books that way.
0: I save I save a list of um, novels that I want to remember to look for when they when I get around to them. So instead of a stack of books on my nightstand, I've got a Zotero collection. <laughs> <laughs> serious, I'm absolutely serious. Yeah,
2: those are good ideas, you guys.
0: Uh, there's there's all kinds of ways you could use it, and also for for. Uh, for public librarians um i mentioned that the um anybody who who is producing bibliographies basically even if your researchers aren't using it you might want to use it to create reading lists and that kind of thing right and And
2: that's that's one of the ways i had thought about using it me for myself how i could create reading lists yeah go go ahead i'm sorry
0: but it's getting uh they're they're adding more and more features so that with the the API so that you'll be able to just save stuff to the Zotero library and without you having to like copy and paste it into a web page you put one line of code into the web page and it will automatically read out your um uh, your Zotero library and produce a bibliography for you. So it's, they're doing awesome. stuff. like Yeah. yeah. If you want to see an example of that, um, just go to my website, jasonpuckett.net slash Zotero. And I made the, uh, um, the bibliography from my book available on my website. And I did all that just using the Zotero API. I didn't, um, I didn't copy and paste that bibliography in. Those are just Items that are saved to my Zotero library. And then the API just produces them automatically on my website. So that's really neat. I'm
2: going to check it out.
0: I can go on like this.
1: No, I was just thinking, I use EndNote to properly format all of the presentations and stuff that I do to put in my CV. But it would be really cool to be able to just put them on, you know, a professional website if I had Yeah which I don't. Yeah, I do
0: that. I do. <laughs> that. I guess I just
2: yeah. got so focused on it being a research tool and it is, but I kept thinking scientific type you know methodologies type research and and it can be just an organization of your information like you guys were saying Mm -hmm. I'm mean, i doing a genealogy workshop next month and I'm like oh my god yes absolutely yeah I think
0: genealogists could totally absolutely
2: oh my gosh yes (laughs) because you're well because you're always pulling these digitized documents from these different resources and what a great place to keep them Mm -hmm. really any hobby that has some sort of
1: online web page component you know Like, if I were, say, a huge Justin Bieber fan, I could see using Zotero.
0: What do you mean, uh, if? I was going to say,
1: why did you say if? Let's pretend, (laughs) Rachel. Just theoretically. But, yeah, I think um, Zotero would be really helpful in keeping those organized, too. And sharing them with my fellow hypothetical Justin Bieber fans. What are
2: they called? Beepsters?
1: are they?
0: <laughs> Beaver Believer, I've heard Be- that one.
1: Believers, that's what it is, Believer. Oh, <laughs> and with that, we should probably wrap it up.
0: <laughs> well, thank you guys for letting me um, plug my book. Uh, listeners, are I promise I'm going to shut present. up about it in future episodes, but I really <laughs> I, I really um, am, am glad that we uh, could take the time and talk about this. This is something I've been really uh, excited about, uh, that is, is finally seeing print, so...
1: And congratulations, Jason, and finally yes. getting and it done.
0: Thank you very much. Since I'm going just the full-on plug mode for just a moment, let me just say you can find it on um, Amazon. It's available in print. On Amazon, you can get it on print or Kindle. I recommend, if you want an ebook edition, get it from the ACRL website or from the ALA online store because you can get it DRM-free from there for the same price. And you can buy the print uh, and the electronic edition as a bundle on the ALA website as well. But if you're buying the ebook edition, get it from ALA because it's DRM-free. We have no, we had no choice about uh, if we wanted it in uh, on Kindle. There's no DRM-free option. So you guys know how I feel about DRM.
2: Say it with me, everybody: DRM-free.
0: DRM sucks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next month.
0: Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna vanskoig. It's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial license. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Blown Aparts. Both are available at Magnatune.com
1: Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.